Last year, a racially charged email sent by the Māori Party MP Hone Harawira drew a record number of complaints to the Race Relations Office. People were upset by the use of obscene language, plus comments that were perceived to be racist towards white people. Talkback radio hosts, internet bloggers and a raft of commentators all weighed in to debate the significance of Mr Harawira's comments. But why did it provoke so much controversy? Is it because many New Zealanders believe that racist attitudes are no longer tolerable? And if so, how accurate is that picture? On this Radio New Zealand Insight programme, Pacific Issues correspondent Richard Parmatato has been finding out, under warning, that at the beginning of the programme, some of the emails with language that could offend some listeners are read out. The Māori Party MP Hone Harawira has apologised for his poor choice of words in an expletive-riddled email. The email controversy had its beginnings when the MP for Te Taitokiro, Hone Harawira, skipped a day of a taxpayer-funded trip to go sightseeing in Paris. Mr Harawira justified his absence in a fiery email to a former director of the Waitangi Tribunal, which was made public by Radio New Zealand. In the correspondence, the Māori Party MP refers to concern about the trip as White man bullshit. He went on to say White motherfuckers have been raping our lands and ripping us off for centuries and all of a sudden you want me to play along with their puritanical bullshit. Although some supported the MP's views, many called for Mr Harawira to resign, citing his abuse of public funds and condemning his comments as racist. It is disgusting for an MP to talk this way, with utter contempt for the majority of the population that he is supposed to be serving. He should be sacked immediately and be prosecuted for racism. If a white person said this, all hell would break loose. He claims to represent his people, but this disrespect would not be acceptable coming from a Pākehā, so why should it be tolerated in his case? Remove him immediately. His taxpayer-paid jaunts and racist bigotry are not acceptable. The Māori Party co-leader Tariana Turia also received many offensive emails, as did the Human Rights Commission. Māori are dull-bludging who abused the system and couldn't hold down a job if their children's life depended on it. Maori is sucking this country dry and are just useless dole bludgers. If that black can call me that, I've had enough. White power has arrived in our family. As the controversy took off, the Race Relations Commissioner, Joris de Bress, told Morning Report that he'd received a number of complaints. We had between 20 and 30 immediately on Friday. By and large, they express outrage or concern they consider Hone Harawira's comments to have been divisive and abusive and offensive, and I think in general terms that's the case. The total number of complaints finally reached a record 814, and a survey by the UMR Research Agency found that it was the most discussed news topic of 2009. But given the history of this country and the often tense relationship between Māori and Pākehā, why did this story generate so much debate? Part of it seems to be that people were angry that racist attitudes had been expressed towards white people when they believed the reverse would not be tolerated. The Prime Minister John Key has described Hone Harawira's email as deeply offensive. He believes the majority try to get on well with others. I think it would be easy for us to be tough on ourselves and to say that race relations aren't in good shape because of the reaction of some individuals to that email, uh, both positively and negatively. 
But I think that would be uh, being overly tough on, on New Zealand's race relations as they currently stand. And by that, what I would say is every country uh, has issues when it comes to dealing with race. Uh, it's not unique to New Zealand. And for the most part, I, I believe that New Zealanders do want to get on well with their neighbour, irrelevant of their ethnicity. So at a time when race relations have evolved significantly, what is the everyday reality for people who experience racism in New Zealand? La Cigale is a French-style market in Auckland. On weekends it draws people after organic vegetables, coffee with fresh pastries and imported food. The crowd is mostly European, the vehicles in the car park late model. Evelyn Stanley is a New Zealander of Samoan and Yuan ethnicity and was recently there with her family. I think we were the only Polynesian family there. Barney family, they got up and they moved away and they had left their cups and their sort of mess they had finished eating so it hadn't been cleared away on that section of the table. And I sat down, another group came, Balangi ladies, three of them, and the way the lady kept looking at me, I think she thought that I had made that mess. But then she spoke to the other lady and it was an earshot and I do think it was meant for me to hear about those people. You know, they can't even clean up their mess. It's like, uh, and I said something. I always say something. It's like, excuse me, um, I I didn't make this mess. We didn't make the mess. And she just kept looking at me and she was like, oh. And that's what it was like. Ms Stanley says Pacific Islanders who go to places where they are not expected often endure looks or comments based on racial stereotypes. Auckland University's professor of Chinese, Manning Ip, says such situations are no surprise. New Zealand still has to deal with a whole lot of racism, and the veneer of tolerance is actually very, very thin. If we scratch the surface when we look at it, New Zealanders, because we have been such a homogeneous country, we don't deal with people who look different in particular. Professor Ip cites a Chinese student whose family has lived in New Zealand for five generations. When she came to Auckland in the 1990s, there were a whole lot of new Asian immigrants, and she was just looked on as a new Asian immigrant, and people threw things at her and made really sexist remarks to her, even in the campus. It was so unexpected for somebody from Hawke's Bay. Professor Ip says this kind of behaviour happens every day to Asian people who either try to shrug it off or ignore it. Silawama Cheryl Talamaivau chairs the Waitakere Pacific Board and has lived in West Auckland all her life. Her parents migrated from Samoa in the early 1960s. Ms Talamaivau says her first experience of being treated differently came when shopkeepers would speak slowly to her. Tell your mother that this is the best vegetable to have and talk slowly like that. And I would always turn around and say, my mother can understand English, but English is her second language. And I go to school and I can understand and speak English. Ms Talamaivau says you never forget those experiences. I was really embarrassed because I've got a mother that can't speak English. Look, because you're a child... So your mind's not mature. You just think, how come I have to have the mother that's yelling in the fruit shop because he's giving the wrong stuff? And then I have to say, oh, my mother doesn't want that. And my mother's like saying in Samoan, tell him, tell him, like that. And other people are looking. 
Ms. Talamaivao says it's those everyday things which people put up with that are the real hallmarks of racist behaviour, not contentious issues like the furore over Honi Harawira's email justifying a trip to Paris. She believes that event had a racial element, but probably caused more offence to Europeans used to being the dominant power. What Honi Harawira said, had he said it in a more academic language, no one really could dispute what he's saying in terms of appropriation of land, appropriation of resources, treatment of one group by a dominant group. Camille Nakid is a senior lecturer at Auckland University of Technology where she teaches sociology. Racism has to do with power and the domination of one group over another. And the intent of his message, what he was saying in his message, the implication of his message, affirmed all of that. What people took issue with was the way in which he said it. But the message is no different from what advocates of anti-racism speak about. Dr Naikid says New Zealanders are not more racist than other people, but there is a reluctance to discuss it openly. She says the response to the email from the MP for Teitai Tokero shows how offended the dominant group can feel when a person from a minority group voices an unpopular opinion. Dr Naikid says the 800-plus emails to the Human Rights Commission about Mr Harawira, many of them using equally profane language, show a group forced to rethink where it sits as New Zealand society develops. These reactions are threats to their own sense of self, their own identity, because what we have politically active Māori and we have socially mobile Māori and for a group of people... Pakeha New Zealand, who traditionally have been in secure positions of privilege that have been maintained by their own sense of domination, by their own practices of domination, they now feel under threat by having to reconsider how they traditionally have seen Māori. Dr Nakid says race relations are more perilous than many would like to believe. That's something that the respected Māori academic Ranginui Walker agrees with, especially about the Honi Harawira email. The earthquake that stirred up throughout the country showed how deeply embedded in the psyche of Pākehā New Zealanders uh, racial fear is, and they have nothing to fear except fear itself. Dr Walker believes you only have to look at the differences in the way Pākehā and Māori are portrayed when money is lost, for a good example of racism. We've seen huge amounts of money vanish at the hands of Pākehā entrepreneurs. Hanover Finance, Mark Hodgson. And there are others. Wind back about three or four years ago, Donna Awatere misused some money out of her 80000 grant for her children's trust, the PP Foundation. Now, that was small biggies compared to the millions that have been lost by these finance companies. It's fair enough that Donna gets criticised, but then some commentators or reporters implied that Māori have a different sense of morality than Pākehās do. Now, that, to me, is a racist view, because hers was a venial sin compared to the big sins we've been seeing lately, and you never see that being said as a, a kind of those Pākehā men having a different sense of morality. Ranginui Walker says although progress has been made in race relations, there is still some way to go. We're still an immature country, hopefully reaching towards maturity in 
the post-colonial treaty settlement era. But we're not quite there yet. Māori still have to endure oppressive Pākehā behaviour in various manifestations in, in our own time. Orewa 2004 was a case in point. You know, just when the treaty settlements give us the impression that we're putting our colonial past behind us, then suddenly we get Don Brash talking about racial privilege and separatism and one law for all. One law for all is code for Pākehā power and domination. The Prime Minister, John Key, says Don Brash had valid reasons to raise the issues he did in the Orewa speech, and he says it allowed for discussion of what was perceived as Māori privilege. You had the, the largest move in the political polls that this country's seen, so it certainly had a chord. But I think it also raised a legitimate debate where people had to say, well, was there privilege for Māori? And I think in, after the final analysis and the conclusion, the answer was actually there wasn't. And underneath the surface, and not too far away, there will always be a vein of, you know, whether it's racism, concern, there's, there's all sorts of things running there. Mr Key says what's important is that the government ensures any racism issues are dealt with and for Māori that the grievance process around treaty issues continues. I would sort of say that partly it's time, the evolution of time. I mean, if you think about the my electorate is very well represented by Croatians when they first came out to New Zealanders. In New Zealand they were given a hard time as Bengalis and all of those kinds of things. They've gone on to build um, the basis of the wine industry in New Zealand, be hard-working and highly successful in New Zealand. So it's not unusual for ethnic groups to be the, at the forefront of, of some racial pushback, whatever country you go to in the world, and often it moves from one group to the other. At the moment, because there's been a big increase of Chinese and Indian migrants to New Zealand, that's you know, caused some consternation to some New Zealanders. That's likely to be little consolation to Evelyn Stanley and her family, who for the past few years have received anonymous letters telling them to move from their Pamua home. The first one came in 2005. I picked the mail up out and I didn't realise till I went to look at the envelope and someone had cut out letters and put to the tenant. And then when I opened it up, it was a letter saying, people like you shouldn't be here and I really did get a shock. I got, I got a little bit scared and I just watched the kids. Ms Stanley says there is only one way to describe the act. I think they were very racist, the content and the connotation and the way they were written. The person writing or doing that letter, obviously, you know, they were specific in addressing those comments to me or to my children. And that last letter that came last year, that was, I think, one of the worst letters because everything was bold and red, and then, you know, it was like, you definitely, you are threatening me, and definitely racist. Ms Stanley says she has notified the police and various agencies, but she doubts anything can be done. For some, like Nooroa Samuela from the Cook Islands, racism has been less avert, but still readily apparent. I remember when I first came into New Zealand, I felt that, that we were second-class uh, citizens, and... The thing is that this is back in the 70s uh, when I first came through here and to speak Māori or to speak our language was a no-no. Mr Samuela believes that there is institutional racism in New Zealand and points to the sports arena for illustration. If we use the analogy of football or rugby, predominantly played by Polynesians, but when you actually have a look at the executive jobs or the coaching jobs and all that, not well represented. That's the analogy. You've got to ask the question, why is it that it's a sport that's dominated by Polynesians? 
yet in the cream jobs, we probably have one person, uh, Pat Lamb. I think that just sums it all up. Yeah, can I yeah, yeah, I'll get um, plates out. Tree Wen Shen and Thomas Robinson live in Devonport. They met at the Auckland Medical School, married 22 years ago, and have two daughters. For them, racism manifests itself in other ways, such as when Dr. Robinson was a GP and patients assumed his wife was a mail order bride. I was seeing somebody and he saw a picture of Trayvon on my desk. He, he asked me where my wife was from and I said, she's from Taiwan. He said, oh, the Thai women are very beautiful, aren't they? <laughs> I said, yes, Thai women are very beautiful. <laughs> then he asked me if I'd met her through the mail. And I said, no, I met her at medical school. <laughs> They both can laugh at that type of encounter, but Dr Robinson, now a public health physician, believes racism is a reality in New Zealand. Obviously some people are very overtly racist. That's probably a minority, but I think most people are racist to a degree in that they perceive people through stereotypes and also they, they judge people's actions through their own cultural belief system and that obviously often has an adverse on other people. I also think that a lot of institutions racist in as much as they are based on the dominant Pākehā culture and that doesn't necessarily serve other ethnic groups very well at all. Dr Robinson believes racist attitudes are seated in ignorance. For his wife, Dr Chen, growing up in New Zealand was difficult. When we came in the late 60s, it was very difficult to become assimilated and so I think we without realising it tended to adopt the European society and try not to display our Asian background and so particularly my sister and I we stopped talking Chinese and we tried to adopt English in a very particular way. In fact my sister changed her name by deed poll because she found it very difficult to explain her Chinese name. So I think, you know, we try in different ways to actually become part of society without drawing too much attention to ourselves. Trey Wen Chen says as a doctor, she has a position of power and is able to speak out, but many Asians try to not be noticed. Man Ying Ip from Auckland University says they do that because they're often fearful about their safety in spite of legislation against racist behaviour. Legislation doesn't protect people totally. New Zealand legislation has been reasonably fair since after the Second World War, after the Chinese were allowed to apply for citizenship, for example. But the legal status is not going to protect you from day-to-day -day racism, and it is not going to protect you from many kinds of discrimination. People just don't, I hate to say it, but quite often people just don't expect Asian people or Pacific people to be as good as Pakehas. Simply, simply like that. Professor Ip says stereotypes about Asian drivers are a good example. In the past, it used to be women drivers. All right? so, so, women, what do you expect? They can't drive. Nowadays, Asians, what do you expect? They can't drive. So they tailgate you, they toot horns, they overtake you, make root finger signs. You meet this every day, and what are you going to do? Are you going to cite the race relations law to them at every roundabout? Professor Ip says many New Zealanders want better race relations, but the debate gets confused when a situation arises such as how a place should be named. 
Recent examples include the debate about whether Whanganui should be spelt with or without an H, or the ruling that a Macron should be added to Hawea just out of Wanaka in the South Island. Camille Nakid, a sociologist lecturer at the Auckland University of Technology, says Europeans fighting to keep spelling the way they want it is an example of racism. For a long time, Pakeha New Zealand's identity has been tied up in having the language written a certain way, having pronunciation of words a certain way, seeing words spelled a certain way, and they have been able to dictate that for a very long time. Now here we have Māori challenging and questioning the way the established practices of Pākehā, and that's another threat to them. Not only are Māori challenging Pākehā politically, but they are challenging some of the things that were core to them, the identity of New Zealand that they themselves had created. And for Pākehā New Zealand, if they are so uncomfortable with the inclusion of a Macron or including the H into Whanganui, it shows how fickle and how unsure they are of their own identity that they have um, constructed their identity on something that is not theirs, that is oppositional, that was built on difference, that was so nebulous, instead of having their own identity based on who they are. Dr Nakid says, unfortunately the discussion gets lost in heated and unproductive argument, and while that happens, day-to-day racism, say in the health system, goes on unnoticed. Evelyn Stanley's daughter Crystal confronted that recently when she was surprised to find herself pregnant. As doctors had said, it was unlikely she would have children for medical reasons. She returned to New Zealand five months pregnant and found a midwife who was European. I explained to her why I hadn't gone for my three-month checkup, why I didn't have a midwife earlier. And I said to her I didn't know I was pregnant. And straight away started to almost educate me on the consequences of sexual intercourse on what contraception means, etc. And I picked up and thought, no, no, it's I know what that means. I didn't know I was pregnant because I it wasn't in my fate. So not because I didn't know what happens after intercourse. Ms Stanley believes the encounter was racist because she feels it was assumed as a Samoan she would have little knowledge about sexual health and pregnancy. Then, of course, it was, well, where is the father? The father was still in Australia, and so it turned into a solo mum, you need to go to parent support groups, you need to speak to wins about benefits, etc., when in fact... I'm a team leader at AUT University. I admit international students to the university. Thomas Robinson says as a public health physician, he sees institutional racism all the time. You go to a meeting and you have a Māori person asked to, to say a prayer at the beginning. and So that's the Māori bit over, now we can get on with the Pākehā meeting. <laughs> and that happens all the time. Sailawama Cheryl Talamaivau says when she worked for the Ministry of Justice, her Pacific Island heritage was only acknowledged when it was convenient. They used to only call us together because there was a porphyry and then the HR people wouldn't know the Māori from Pacific. But then maybe someone would say, oh, well, you get the islanders to come because they all go to church and they can sing and they can sing loud. Ms Talamaivau says that sort of behaviour assumes one role for Pacific islanders. We're so over being the band that we want to make other people feel good. I get sick of that. 
that really gets up my nose. I'm like, go get your own band or get your own boombox and play your own songs. Get your own record player. Sing your own songs. Back to Australia, I'll but it's not just non-European migrants who experience perceived racist attitudes here. Bill and Maria Vandenberg here, at their holiday house in the Mackenzie country, migrated from Holland in the mid-1960s. Mrs Vandenberg says even today, after 40-plus years in New Zealand, people ask her about her accent, which she interprets as a sign that she isn't accepted. At first, sort of you think people are interested. After that, there is a period where you try to be nice, but after so many years, you think, well, why do you have to ask me that? Just because you have a, I have an accent. Everybody's got an accent. But Maria Vandenberg says it is easier for her because she is white, and she experienced more worrying racism when she took a Samoan friend's child to school. I started talking to the infant mistress and then she said she won't know her numbers or her colours just like that without even asking, even talking to the child. I find that really quite sad in a way. Mrs Vandenberg says New Zealand's race issues might be eased if more people learned languages and felt more comfortable hearing different accents. But her husband, Bill Vandenberg, feels that as migrants, it is important for them to understand attitudes in their adopted country and not to rock the boat. Mr Vandenberg, who is a surveyor, believes many racist attitudes, particularly towards Māori, centre on land issues. I went to Otago in 1969, and it was not long after the national government had passed a law that basically Māori land that was not being used could just be confiscated. And I brought this up at the survey school, and that I thought that was bloody criminal, right? it was stealing. And that people said, well, it's not being used, that's fair enough, isn't it? What are they going to do with it? This was shocking, right? And basically it was something that, you know, Maori land was not being productively used, well, that can easily be taken. And not only that, but in Holland, where we lived, we had a large block of land for European understanding, but it was totally unproductive, and we had a house there, and we didn't do anything to the land. And imagine somebody coming and taking it away because... They can use it for whatever reason. It's just unbelievable, isn't it? That type of attitude towards Māori-owned land has changed in the intervening years, during a period when huge strides have been made to settle treaty claims. Such progress has been achieved with efforts from Māori and government, but Ranginui Walker feels that politicians have also caused problems for race relations most recently with Don Brash's Orewa speech and the foreshore and seabed legislation enacted under Labour. Then we had to endure from the left this time over the foreshore and seabed and beaches and barbies for all that was a whole spurious thing. Māori have never shut people out of the beaches, but it was just a beat-up. Uh, and this is the kind of thing that Māori have to put up from their Pākehā partner over the years. Ranginui Walker says the Prime Minister John Key has shown an informed wish to improve race relations by working with the Māori Party. The political world is far from the comfort of the Devonport home of Drs Chen and Robinson, where music is part of everyday life. I think a lot of Chinese and, and people of Asian descent aren't very outspoken about the needs that are there. And so we, I guess we tend not to say too much about what needs to be done.
we're all trying to fit in and so I, I guess we're trying to not rock the boat and we're very accepting of what happens. The fitting in process, the growing influence of what's politically correct or not and the evolution of New Zealand society means that race relations tend to simmer on the back burner. But for many of those I spoke to in making this programme, racist attitudes are an everyday experience. And the controversy over the Honiharawera email may show that this type of experience is underestimated by many New Zealanders. That Radio New Zealand Insight was written and presented by Richard Palmatato. Technical production was by Katrina Batten and it was produced by Sue Ingram.